What is the flipping story, everybody, out there in the universe, in podcast land? What's the story? Um, I hope that whoever you are and wherever you are in the world, that you're having a good one, having a good ass day. Um, I'm having a pretty good day, actually, myself. I got out. I did a long run, right? Well, not not too long, an hour and a half, which you know, which is long. That's a fucking long time to be running, but it brought me back to a really funny story from when I first started training for ultramarathon. And you know, if you've listened to the episodes before this episode, you will have realized um, that my first ultramarathon was just absolutely out of the blue. I like stumbled upon ultramarathon. It wasn't something that I was like consciously working towards for a number of years, building up miles on my legs, building up time in the sport. Now, that would have been too smart for Connor. Um, I ended up basically entering my first 100 mile ultramarathon on an absolute whim. It's like, you know, ultra has layers. It has, there's levels to this shit. You know what I mean? Like you do your marathon and you're like, I'd love to do an ultra. You might do 50k. You might do an 80k. You know what I mean? If you're if you're really pushing yourself, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, we just jumped in 162 kilometers, like 100 milos, right? And the reason why today brought me back to that time is because my calves, lads, my calves are absolutely crippled. Um, because... On Friday, it is now Sunday, the 14th of March, and on Friday, I did a long run, and I got some vert, got a bit of vertical, you know, climbed up a bit of hillside, you get me, you know, got a bit of hills done, got 580 meters of climb, delighted with that, very happy with that, right, and then I gunned it on the downhill part, absolutely gunned it. I did a 5k in just over 19 minutes uh, on the way back down, just because I was just absolutely like, I suppose I was just buzzing off life. It was just I was given a free rein by my coach, just run whatever way you want. Run whatever you, way you want, and that's that. And I did, and I pushed really hard. I was, I was meant to take it a bit handier, I think, you know, to be honest. And that's why my ankles... My ankles, my calves and ankles and feet were dislocated today. And like from the first couple of steps in the run today, I was like, ooh, we in trouble. I was absolutely in trouble. Like, you know, I just knew that my legs were going to be stiff as flip. And they didn't really improve from there. I was like, nah, they'll warm up in a minute. Nope. No, they didn't. They didn't warm up. They stayed sore for the whole run. And it was a hard one. It was a hard run. Uh, it was, uh, to be honest, only an hour and a half, but it was tough. Um, and the reason why that brought me back to my <laughs> first ultramarathon was, I was like, okay, right? So even in 2018, right, in the, you know, when we did our first ultramarathon, right, we, like, even in the last three years, ultra has gotten fucking huge. It's ginormous, like, you know, it's it's... I don't know why or how it has, but it's just become gigantic. And it's not like a, well, it still is kind of, you know, on the outskirts of sport. It's not, you know, it's not a 10 miler or a half marathon or marathons and people do them all the time. Uh, But it's growing and it has grown a lot in the last three years. So I didn't really have a big cachet of information to go on. And how do you train for a hundred mile race with seven weeks 
preparation like you know what i mean it's like how how would you do that and uh we didn't have a fucking breeze neither of us me or my buddy mark and what we kind of you know agreed upon was was like okay what are we gonna have to do in the race we're gonna have to run a lot and run for a very long time okay seems fair why don't we just run all the time for very long periods of time and do very long distances and uh yeah that's what we kind of did and we we broke ourselves up so i think in our first week we did like fucking close to 100 kilometers in our first week of training and i remember on monday morning right after a long weekend of running i i saw mark and mark was working the same place as me and he and like I could barely walk, and Mark was, Mark could barely get out of his car. Like he wasn't able to be walking around the office. He was he was desk bound like for the whole time because he just he crippled his feet and his calves, and he just and I I just felt like one twentieth of that today, and it just brought me right back to that time when I had no fucking idea how to train for an ultra marathon, and I was actually crippled. I was walking around the gaff and like, you know, you be you have to walk around and, and talk to customers like, you know, I was selling cars and uh, like I'd be limping around the place. Are you injured? Oh, here, don't even get me started. Like I've just I've just absolutely destroyed my body and ru- running too much. And we did that basically all the way up until the last like week of the of the preparations. We did the run and um, it just kind of brought me back to the to that time because it was just you know, I'm, I'm here now three years down the line <laughs> and I'm still kind of pushing a bit too hard sometimes, you know, because I wasn't meant to push as hard as I did on Friday. But, you know, you live and learn and some days just get out, getting out on the trails and running regardless of the training session is just a, you know, it's just a blessing, you know, regardless. You just get out, do your business, smell them trees, hear the birds chirping, get that wind on your face, you know, you feel mighty damn good. Um, and yeah, Jesus, I really, really loved the feedback from the last episode of the podcast, um, The Bullfinch Curve, because I think it really struck a chord with a lot of people during this pandemic. And I, I really feel like today's episode is really going to really going to hit a hit a chord of people um, about the about the, the epidemic, about the, you know, the pandemic and what I touched on on the bull curve was that we didn't have to be productive all the time. And um, I remember on Friday talking on my Instagram and saying to people like, you know, that this is me being me. This is me living my life the way I want to live it. And like if I'm training every day, you shouldn't feel bad for it if let's say you're not doing your training or whatever. Because this is me doing what I want to do and living the way I want to live. And so like if you wanted to be the best at something you you just have to apply yourself to that and like become kind of sometimes borderline obsessed with but like at the same time if you just want to like like I, I i said if you wanted to be the best creator in the world you have to have your fucking camera glued to your hands out taking pictures of this that and everything finding the beauty and everything testing yourself looking at where your weaknesses are in your like videography skills your editing skills and and you know doubling down on those weaknesses and making them strength and that's what i do in in ultra and what i'm doing at the moment is i'm like i'm not as good running 
uphill as I am at running downhill. Running downhill is tough on the legs as well, but I'm a far better downhill runner. I'm, I'm quite good at it, but I'm I, I'm not as good at the uphill part. So that's why I am getting as getting a lot more elevation into my training sessions. And so yeah, I said that, and I also said you know you need to feckin' grab um grab your feckin' drum set or you know at, attach your fingers physically to a keyboard and play until you just can't do it anymore if you want to be the best at that but ask yourself do you really actually want that or do you want to just have the guitar as something that you can chill out with or something like that you just pick up your guitar and you just play it and strum a couple of chords you know what I mean and that's a beautiful thing to have as well I have many many aspects of my life that are like that you know um, I like swimming I like sea swimming I have my, my sea swimming wetsuit and things like that and I love getting in for for a swim every now and then but it's not my sport right? I'm not I'm not driven by it and I like having it in my arsenal of 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 things in my life like a, another gold coin to put into the pot of gold you know what I mean so like if you think about your life as a pot of gold and this is something I took from my friend uh, Paddy Douglas um if you have your your life as a pot of gold, how many gold coins are in it? If each gold coin represents like something that is, you know, that brings something to your life. So like I have running, mountaineering, being a gael gore, like a linguist, um, reading, swimming, all of these these gold coins in the pot. And by the time I fucking kick over that bucket, I'm ho- I hope it's overflowing. You know what I mean? I hope it's overflowing with all kinds of different things. I hope I'm into all types of different stuff throughout my life. And I'll never close a door on anything. Like You know what I mean? So it's it's exciting when you think about things in that way and life in that way. You know what I mean? It's as how many gold coins do I have in the bucket? Look, I'm interested in CrossFit, but like, fuck it, what else have I not tried and given myself an opportunity to fall in love with her you know what i'm saying like give yourself these opportunities to collect those gold coins along the way because they're they can be beautiful like you know and another thing that i that uh, people said to me about the bullfinch curve was that like i recorded it outside and they loved it and they loved hearing the bird song in the background while i was actually recording and they just really, really enjoyed it. And I, I thought I think that was just absolutely superb. And I'll definitely be doing more recordings outside because that's another thing that brings something to my life. It doesn't matter what I'm doing in the outdoors. It's just being outside. And if I don't get outside, I get itchy. Like um, I bought a new set of boots and I didn't want to take them outside. This is actually fucking hilarious. I didn't want to take them outside. And you're, it's recommended to wear them for about four hours while you're in the house. To kind of, you know, like, I suppose find out whether they fit you properly or not. And I just, I'm telling you, I couldn't string a full hour together <laughs> without wanting to get outside. I'm telling you, like, it just, it's built into my life. It's built into my day-to-day. Those are my values. I value my time outdoors. And I make that happen then. You know what I mean? So, um, I will definitely record another podcast in the outdoors. Um, This podcast, again very much stimulated by what's going on in my life at the moment and as well an area where I have seen an awful lot of uh, people struggling with it and that is overthinking right because think about the situation that we find ourselves in at the moment right and um, with COVID we we have a lot less structure and routine in our lives as I've said in, in previous podcasts and what that can generate or what can it can can start is idleness, 
So we, we are, we don't, we're not as active in our life and we get idle and we don't um, have things to, let's say, occupy our time sometimes. And what that can do is it can lead us inward, which can be very, very beneficial if you were in the position to be there. You know what I mean? And Jesus, I'm, I, I'm as guilty as any of overthinking things. You know what I mean? And I feel like in the current times that we live in right now, we can it can lead us to overthink things and to 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 allow this overthinking right and overthinking is like a seed right you allow that seed to be planted in your mind right and you may not even notice it being planted you know what i mean could just be thrown into the into the the abyss of your mind and you don't really know when it's going in there but then all of a sudden at some point in time during the day it starts to grow roots. It starts to root itself in your mind. And then your mind starts to add on the stem, add on the leaves and the flowers, and it starts to really take form. And it starts to really, you know, gain energy from you. I think that's why I like to look at overthinking as a seed. Because it is a seed because it takes energy from you and from your mind to grow itself. And then sometimes it can actually grow to be out of control and it can swallow you up. And And I've been there too in the past and there are, you know, I've learned so many lessons from overthinking, right? And it's it's really, really, um, it's really interesting that in re- in my reading over the last couple of days, um, when I re- when I read books, I always like to, regardless of what they are, whether they're fiction or whether they're non-fiction or whatever the case may be, I'd like to buy- find some ties or draw certain things and certain parallels with my own life and just kind of tie them in and say, oh yeah, that's actually like a bit like what I'm going through. Or that's actually kind of interesting because I was just thinking like that on that run there the other day. You know what I mean? And it gives you that fodder for thought. And that's, it's, it's, I think it can be really useful sometimes. And not even self help books. I don't really read self help books. I just love interesting literature. And, um, if I, if I do draw those parallels between, you know, um, what I'm reading and my own life, it allows things to stick into my mind. And it allows me to absorb more of what the book is trying to tell me, like, you know what I mean? So, like, I've gotten through books, guys and, and gals, like, and literally been at the end of the book and go, okay, cool, I read that book. What the fuck was that book about? You know? It just has no sticking power whatsoever. Now, the reason why, let's say, Malcolm Gladwell is one of my favourite authors is because he's got stickiness. He's just got that stickiness, you know what I mean? Um, and it just sticks in your brain. But I think as well, from reading books like his, it has allowed me to draw parallels. And that's what I will say to you about about the skills of reading books is drawing drawing what you can from it into your own life. Not reading it in a vacuum. Not reading it for, you know, for fucking lip service sometimes. You know, it's like I'm reading it for the sake of reading it. Reading it and actually feeling it go into your body and your mind at that time. And so... When I was reading this book, right, um, it it goes into it goes into about um, Great Britain during World War Two, and it's a fascinating. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell wasn't necessarily talking about this in the guise of overthinking, but I really, really thought about it, and I really, really started to think about you know what he was talking about. Okay, 
and how it led me to think about how I overthink things and how I have been made feel anxious or fearful of things in the future that have never happened, that, that have never happened, may never happen and have not happened yet. You know, completely and utterly, like in my mind, useless thinkings. You know what I mean? And he talks about um, Great Britain, right? And this is not in the book, but this is just from my own studies of World War Two, right? When um, France was taken over um, by the Germans, the Germans, um, they they, they um, administered a, a type of warfare called Blitzkrieg right and how they actually managed to take france was it it was estimated by hitler himself and by his generals that it would take 3 to 3 and a half weeks to get through to or, or sorry um yeah sorry they um hitler himself thought it was going to take months for um germany to take paris right and up until that point, there'd actually been relative calm between France and Great Britain and Germany. Um, and it was months and months of, you know, of basically what was known as the phony war, right? And it took Germany only six weeks to get to Paris once they started their attack. So they basically took Luxembourg and the Netherlands and... Um, through the Ardennes, they attacked France and they swiftly took Paris. And the the funny thing about it was that uh, if the French uh, generals had taken the advice of French pilots that had seen the Germans get caught in a type of bottleneck going through the Ardennes, they would have been able to call in airstrikes and the war would have been done. But anyway... Germany took France, which left Great Britain as the only um, allied force remaining to fight the Germans, right? And a lot of the fighting that was going to be done between Germany and Great Britain at that time was going to be done through the air, right? So a lot of a lot of the fighting was going to be done between the Royal Air Force and the Luftwaffe and that is actually what happened. And when, at, at that time, right, after that, basically, Chamberlain had been fucking told hereby, you need to step the fuck down. So Chamberlain had made a huge fucking error. And he actually went and met um, met Hitler and signed a peace treaty that was absolutely not worth the fucking paper it was written on, right? Came home waving the fucking thing around the place when he got back to Britain saying, he's brought peace to the world, Right? Little did he fucking know that the boys were actually going to fucking attack France and the whole shit was going to hit the fan. So basically, he was fairly disgraced, so he had to step down. Winston Churchill took hold. And what Churchill and his um, his generals were very, very afraid of was the effect of air raids and bombings on the people of London and, I suppose, Greater Great Britain but especially London, because it was such a densely populated area as it is now. And they had all these predictions of how things were going to go down, right? They had built 
um, psychiatric units all over London to to basically deal with the influx of people that were dealing with shell shock and they were dealing dealing with PTSD and nervous shock and all these things. They they thought they were going to be overrun. They thought there was going to be six hundred to seven hundred thousand people killed by air raids, um, by the Germans. Right? They really thought that. This was going to be an incredibly worrying time for Great Britain. And at a certain point, you couldn't really blame them, right? But what actually happened was actually quite the contrary. Yes, thousands of people lost their lives and lost their homes, right? But what the effect of the bombings had on the British people was actually quite strange. Um, In some ways, it was you know, it was it was just absurd, right? When German um, Luftwaffe uh, pilots were were flying toward London and they were on an air raid, right? There would be obviously air raid alarms uh, and sirens that would go off to alert the people to basically take shelter or or, or run, do whatever they flipping could to save their lives and save their homes or whatever the the case may be. Couldn't really do much about their homes, really. Bombs were dropping on them. You couldn't exactly, you know, put out a big fucking umbrella or something over it. Like, you know what I mean? Bounce the bombs off the umbrella. Like, you know, if they were going to hit your house, they were hitting your house. Like, you know. But what people of the time actually started to notice as time went on was these sirens were going off, right? And people weren't really like you know running in fear like fucking headless chickens around the place you know they were just basically going on about their day they were just going on about their day and these fucking these sirens were going off saying here boys gals the germans are on the way they got a big flipping plane load of bombs and they're gonna drop the shit out of them all over us that was what the siren was telling the boys and gals around the place at the time right but they weren't worried about it and Studies, psychological studies, um, actually, uh, at the time, right, um, following the war, right, had said that there were going to be there were going to be three types of, um, of of people that were going to be affected by something like air raids and bombs, right, and the first people are going to be the actual the the dead, the victims. They're going to be they're going to be the worst affected, obviously, out of everybody because they're going to lose their lives, right. So they're going to be the direct hits of bombs and they're going to lose their lives and they're going to you know they're go- they're going to be the the casualties of the war the next people right in that are going to be what's known as near misses so like near misses sounds like oh yeah they'll be grand near misses could be people that lost a leg people that lost their freaking hand or People who got really badly injured, concussions, burst eardrums, you know, shattered homes and everything. Those are the people, uh, th- those are, you know, people that, that fall into the near miss category, right? So they're going to be really awfully and terribly shaken and affected by these bombs. And then there would be a third category of people, right? And the third category of people were remote misses right so remote misses are going to hear the bombs they're going to hear the planes they're going to hear the bombs even dropping right their house might even get a bit shook by the bombs right 
but they're not going to be seriously hurt, seriously injured. People they know are not going to be hurt or seriously injured. You know, they're going to be pretty okay, right? And you know, they're not going to be they're not going to be suffering from from the 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 psychological effects that the that the near misses are going to be suffering from. And not only that, right? Not only that the remote misses are not going to be, you know, suffering from the PTSD, the shell shock, and the just the terror of air raids. Their their confidence is actually going to grow. So imagine you're living in a city like London, right? And air raids and and, and bombs being dropped was in, were incredibly frequent, right? When you think about it, this is a fucking war, like you know what I mean? This is vicious stuff here. This is dropping bombs on civilians, right? And let's say you survive five or six times the, the alarm goes off, right? The first time, you're fucking running for cover. You're screaming, shouting, headless chicken city, right? Second time, you're fucking, where is everybody? Come on, we got to get into the house. Third time, you're like, okay, we'll see what happens here now. And you're kind of maybe looking up at the ceiling, you know, sitting at the edge of the sofa, looking up at the ceiling, you know, looking around the room at everybody that's in there, and nothing happens. The fourth time, you're like, okay, what's going to happen here? Fifth time, you're like, well, look, you know, we've been here before, like, you know what I mean? And you start to kind of grow in this confidence. It's kind of like, it's kind of like the phrase, what doesn't kill us makes us stronger, you know? And and that was definitely true in this instance. It was like, what, what wasn't affecting people was actually was was allowing people's allowing people's confidence within themselves to survive to grow you know there was anecdotal evidence of people saying that they didn't want to be moved out to the countryside because they wouldn't fucking miss it for the world they said there's nothing going to be happening like this in the world again and i'm not leaving london while these things are happening you know even people that had like you know their 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 places of work had been fucking blown up and and you know even people's houses might have been fucking blown up or their they, you know you you could have had a bomb drop out their backyard and no serious harm to come with them and then nothing happened from there again and they're growing in confidence from this right so let's think back to Churchill and the boys what why did they think why did they think that they were going to have to set up all of these psychiatric units all over the, you know, the, the city and that they were going to have to, you know, they're going to be dealing with six or seven hundred thousand people dead. I think there was about 50 or 60,000 people killed. Why, why did they think, you know, why did they, like what, what you would assume now looking back at it, why are they, were they catastrophizing the situation? Like all of those psychiatric units were actually turned into war units. They were turned into units where, you know, um, soldiers were being held and trained and, you know, where armaments were kept. They, they were turned into military use because no one was fucking using them. Because anybody who probably needed to use them was fucking dead or in hospital getting a fucking leg amputated or something. You know what I mean? So the, the people... That, that they thought were going to be worst affected by this were, were actually probably the best off. And not even that, they were actually better off in the end. And I think that's that's a big, um, I suppose, message about how we as human beings sometimes think about things. And when we overthink things, we generally, we generally don't think that things are going to be way better than they actually are. Maybe we do. Maybe we do, maybe you do, I do, I'm an optimist, you know, I'm an optimist, I'll always think about things as, you know, 
being probably one of the best possible outcomes. But a lot of the time we can think about things and think about, you know, how we're going to feel in some future situation, right? And what that is called when we think about how we're going to feel about a future situation is called effective forecasting, right? Effective forecasting. How are we going to feel in a certain situation? So let's say you have a job interview, right? And someone says to you, right, you have a job interview in a couple of days and someone says to you, oh, actually, you've a, you've a job interview in a few days. How are you getting ready for it? And your heart starts going 90, right? And you start thinking about it. And then you go, oh, Jesus Christ, yeah, oh, I don't know. Ah, uh, look, like, there's meant to be hundreds of people going for this, like, you know, and it's only two positions and all that, you know. And then you start thinking about all these things. I wonder if there's going to be three or four or five people interviewing me. There's going to be two people interviewing me. You know, what are they going to want from me to what they wear? You know, if, what if they ask me these questions? All these different things. We start thinking about how we're actually going to feel in that situation. And that can lead lead to anxiety and fear about that situation. And um, very, very, very interesting here, right? There was actually a psychologist called Stanley J. Rachman, right? And he he was he was basically testing out this theory of effective forecasting, right? And what he was doing was he was getting people with fears, right? You know, self-professed fears about certain things, right? People who are afraid of snakes or who were claustrophobic, you know, didn't like being in tight spaces. And what he was actually doing was he was putting them in the exact position that they would have over overthought about a hundred times over and led them to developing this fear and this anxiety about this certain thing happening. What how would I feel if this thing was happening? How would you feel if there was a snake running down your 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 chest right now, you know, around your shoulders to someone who was afraid of snakes? So what what he actually did was and you know, you can agree or disagree with his methods, but, you know, they, they agreed. They signed up the waivers. They were, they were in it. They were in it to win it, right? So what he did was he got people who were, like, afraid of snakes and he put them in a room with snakes. And he'd do it kind of, like, you know, ever so slowly. So someone who's afraid of snakes, they'd put him in a room where a snake was inside a box and maybe you couldn't see the snake and it was at the other side of the room. Then maybe he'd lift up a coal and you could see the glass tank that the snake was in. Then he would move the snake halfway across the room. And then he would move it to right next to the person and so on and so forth. And then he would also find people who were claustrophobic. And he'd be like locking them in like metal boxes and stuff like, you know what I mean? Putting them in tight spaces, the exact place where they have probably thought about being a hundred times over and built up this anxiety and fear in their in their heads about something, right? And they built it up in their head, built it up in their mind because I think we as human beings don't generally think, th- you know, think the best, think the most optimistic point. We think about things that could go wrong. So when he was putting people inside in these metal fucking chests and stuff like that, People were actually saying it was actually not as bad. It wasn't exactly delightful, but it wasn't as bad as I had thought it was going to be. The same with the people with the snakes and other fears that he was doing. He was running these tests with people and they were realizing that the human brain has a way of morphing these thoughts. And as I said, they're like taking this seed, this helpless seed that, that cannot grow on its own, right? A seed 
cannot grow on its own. It needs to be watered. It needs to be given, you know, nutritious soil. It needs to be given sunlight. It needs these things. It needs fuel. It needs fuel to power what's inside it to grow, right? So if we look upon our thoughts or, or maybe negative thoughts about the future and overthinking things, if we think of them as a seed and we say, well, I'm not going to water that seed. I'm not going to water that seed. I'm not going to fucking, I'm not going to let that seed see light of day. That's, that's what we, we should be doing. Not feeding it and feeding up this thought over and over and over and over in our head. If anything, you know, if what was happening during World War II to these people that were being bombed and to the people in Rachman's study, was it was showing basically homies that we like we just big things up in our head and make things so much bigger and maybe more complicated and anxious than we actually need to and this is happening this has been happening to me um for the last week or so right and one day in particular was i had done hill sprints last week and then this week I was doing hill sprints, but instead of doing six, like I have done since the dawn of my training sessions with this, with my coach, um, with Donica, right? I have done six hill repeats, never done any more. And at the end of the sixth hill repeat, I am absolutely discombobulated. Like I am absolutely in pehusis. I'm in pieces. I'm in little bits. You know what I mean? Little tiny bits. You could literally sweep me into a dustpan, right? So I look at my my training peaks, my the platform that I up that my coach uses to upload the training for me, right? And I see, oh, hill sprints X eight, and I'm like X eight, eight. Where did the six of them go? Why are we adding two onto it? We're in bits after six, then why are we adding eight? Why are we why are we putting two more on there? You know? That's an extra 33%. I don't mind letting you know, Dunica. But when I saw it, I was like, oh Jesus, like how fucked up am I gonna be after these? And I started to feed into it, and I was like, I didn't really want you know, for, for, for whatever reason, I was like, why you, I love disgustingness, I love horribleness, I love running up fucking hills and feeling the fucking lactic acid ravaging my fucking muscles, like, I'm a sick puppy, like, I love that, I love when I have to go off-road a bit and I get brambles and, you know, and briars and cuts all up my legs and, you know, uh, you know, when we have to go through bogs and we have to go through rivers and I love that shit, like, you know what I mean, so, why was I now thinking about this situation in this way? Why was I, I, in a way, dreading the session? And what I was doing was I was effective forecasting. And I just, I, I, I felt like it had no positive impact on my life whatsoever, thinking about it in this way. And, and thinking about how I was going to actually feel after the sixth one, knowing I had two left, right? Thinking about that point. And like... There has been loads of times where I have done effective forecasting, right? Where I've thought about certain things and how things were going to go down. And loads of times, like I've had loads of loads of opportunities, homies, where like, you know, um, I've been doing things, whether there's like an audience in front of me, whether I was like boxing, I was, I, I've boxed in front of 2,000 people. 
you know, and uh, I've I've stood up in rooms and given talks at, at very, very big companies and things like that. And each time I have done a little bit of effective forecasting. I've thought about how I'm going to feel in that situation. And usually it's not great. But where I where I have to where I have to kind of like re, where, where what I have started to do of late. Right. When when I'm doing this, um, this effective forecasting. Right. And I am th- overthinking these certain situations or these certain feelings or anxieties, right? I think about situations when I've done that before, you know? And how did they pan out? You know, the times when I've thought about things and I've, I've done effective forecasting and then only for the situation to arise and for me to actually get to the point that I was thinking about and everything to be fine and grand. I think about those times. And when I think about those times, right, what that actually said to me was that each of those times where I have overthought about something and I've had fear about how I'm going to feel in a certain situation, right? And it's actually turns out way better than I thought it was gonna gonna be. Is like every time the siren would ring in London and that a person didn't get hit by a bomb. So when I think about the times that I had overthought about something or I had tried to read somebody's mind in that way and I was overthinking about, you know, how this person was, you know, after taking a message or an email that I was after sending them and then I meet them and I'm and they're like, oh, hey, what's the story? You know, and they're like absolutely delighted to see me. I'm like, oh, Jesus, I didn't think that you were going to be like that because you didn't respond to my message. And like, they're like, oh, my God, so sorry, blah, blah, blah. Oh, it was just up the walls and all this kind of stuff. And the amount of times that that kind of stuff happens in our day-to-day lives homies you know what I mean we overthink it we overthink the situation and we think about the the situation that we're going to be in and it's usually better than what we think it is right so every time I'm overthinking something I'll think about a situation where I was overthinking about something and it turned out to be way better and that is exactly like you know every time that the siren rings for for a bombing you're thinking about all the times that you've heard this siren already and you didn't get bombed. And that builds that confidence inside in you. It builds the confidence to, that you know that your overthinking is not being fed. Your overthinking is not getting that miracle grow. It's not getting that, you know, that top quality compost. You know, it's not getting watered. There's nothing happening. That seed is staying a seed. And that's that. So... It's, it was great to, to, to figure out that parallel when I was reading the book and I, I said, yeah, every time that I had a situation that I was overthinking and it turned out better than I thought it was, it was just like every time the siren rang in London and a person survived, I have the same feelings. I'm tying the same things to them and I'm, I'm gaining confidence and strength just like they did. So that's what I'll, I'll say to you guys, right, is if we are overthinking something, a lot of the times I think, okay, I've been here before. I've done, I've done been here before. I've been overthinking stuff loads of times in my, in, in, throughout my life, you know. 
about all different kinds of things. And I really think that when we do draw our 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 experience, we can build and grow from them, and we don't we don't think about the overthinking like we would usually do, you know. So it's very very interesting. Like, and I think that 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 experience that that experience that um, Stanley R. R. Rackman, Stanley J. Rackman, sorry, had uh, when he conducted that experiment with people says a lot, because like people that were having like insane fears of spiders and snakes and tight spaces, they were like being asked in questionnaires, how how would you feel if someone locked you in a box and out of one to ten, how terrified would you be? Oh, I'd be a, oh, geez, I'd be a ten. I'd be a fucking ten all day, boy. Oh, I, I, you know, me now in tight spaces, I can't even go into a fucking elevator. You know, me in tight spaces just wouldn't really get on. You know, not my gig. Prefer wide open spaces, you know. Wouldn't really be a person to sit down, you know, in a bus stop even. You know, and you know, there's only two walls in a bus stop. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of them. Okay, so you're a 10. You're a solid 10. Okay. Well, look, what we're going to do is we're going to put you in a box. <laughs> All right? We're going to put you in this confined space. And the person hops out. And usually, <clears throat> what has actually happened is that 10 is actually more like an 8. Or a 9. Or an 8.5. You know, I wasn't actually as fucking terrified as I thought I was going to be. I wasn't scratching at the box. Fucking losing fucking fingernails trying to get out of there. You know what I mean? So... We do tend to do that sometimes, don't we? We overthink things and we don't necessarily overthink them in a positive light. So next time we are, right, let's try and pull times when we did overthink things before. And how do they turn out? Usually turn out way better than we think they are. It's just like those people in the box or that person who was in the same room as that snake who had that, who had that fear of snakes. It was the exact same thing. When we're actually confronted with what we're overthinking about, it's usually not at all as bad as we think it is. It's not a 10. It isn't a 10. It is, it's not a, a top, uh, you know, top of the feckin' spectrum, top of the bus, top of the pops reaction. It's a bit lower than that. It's not, it's not all out fucking, you know, internal fucking warfare. And, and that's what I think that we have to, have to realize is that our brains can sometimes not be our friends because we are almost designed to think about the bad things that could happen. It's part of our survival mechanism. It's ingrained into our genetics to think about possible things that could go wrong. To think about what we might feel in a certain situation. Because when we were out hunting, right, we're looking for some prey, we were also prey. So we had to think about what would we do if a fucking predator hopped out and tried to munch us down. You know what I mean? I could be served up for din-dins on a dinner plate here. You know? So, it's natural for us to think like that. But we, we can also use our experience to know that when we are overthinking. Identify it first. Identify that the seed has been planted first, right? Okay, so yeah. Look, I'm overthinking this now. Okay. And... I remember actually I was overthinking about that other thing that's very similar to this and fuck it, it wasn't as bad at all. Like, you know what I mean? Like, let's say I'm overthinking a talk that I'm giving to a company and I think, oh, Jesus Christ, what about this and that? 
And then I think, okay, well, remember last time we were given the talk at Microsoft? What what, what actually happened? Jesus, you, you, you know, you got on very well. Everybody thought it was great. You were getting messages and emails about it, you know, and how good it was. So, okay, what what can we learn from that now and apply it to this situation? Well, you know, I'm overthinking it. I'm probably, it's probably going to end up being a lot better than I think it's going to be. And that's that's the that's that that siren going off and you kind of standing there saying, ah, I've been here before. I've heard this siren ten times. I haven't been hit by a bomb yet. You know? Pretty good. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? There was a chap actually that was uh, another anecdotal evidence uh, 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 surrounding this topic of a chap who had been working in a button factory and the button factory got blown up and his house was actually blown up, right? And they were they, the authorities asked him if he wanted to be moved to the, to the countryside and he said, no, I'm not leaving here, you know? I'm not leaving here right now. This is the, the fucking, this is the most interesting time in my life. And and, not, and and like they thought that the whole city was going to be evacuated. They were going to ev- have to evacuate the whole city out to the countryside. Now, a lot of people did go to the countryside, but not everybody. Not even close to everybody. You know? And so, when they thought about the situations, they were thinking about the worst case scenario. And look, you can't really blame them in another, t- in another way, like, you know? Um, they were looking out for their people, and that's that's what they were trying to do. You know what I'm saying? So you you know you can't be like here, boys. You shouldn't have been doing that. But it can teach us something. It can teach us that we should learn from the we should learn from what's actually happening in our lives, and apply that to times when we are when we are overthinking, right? And another thing that I really pulled from that story was about you know after World War Two, and you know, the people of London, the people of the world really as a whole. And that the unity and the sigh of relief and the beauty that was, you know, that the world was then engulfed in, right? Like, after that point, I I have a feeling that we're going to have something similar when all of this pandemic business is done. You know, I think that we're going to, I think we're going to enter into one of the most beautiful times in, in modern memory, you know? We've been so disconnected from people, right, throughout this whole thing. And I suppose technology has allowed us to keep in touch, but we really figured out the limits of technology, I think, haven't we? In the, in, during this pandemic, the limits of, of technology. Technology cannot give you a hug. Technology cannot, you know, share a fucking coffee with you. Technology cannot, you know pat you on the back and say fucking well done on that run or well done on that interview or whatever they can't fucking do that shit you know so we're we're yes we're using technology right now to keep in touch but i think we've realized that there are limits and that human beings are, are a wonderful thing and that we miss them <laughs> you know what i mean and that when we get that opportunity again and when we and we will to wrap our arms around our friends, to meet up in the park and and fucking throw around a frisbee, do these fucking things that like we probably just took for granted, you know, so for granted that 
when we get a chance to do those again, I think it's going to be like, it's going to be like we've been through so many fucking sirens and bombs going off now that when we know that there's no sirens going to happen anymore, I think it's going to be fucking legit. I think that we're really going to enjoy it. So I look forward to it. Um, I said as well that, uh, you know, um, to myself in this week that I would uh, go through just a couple of minutes, like two or three minutes of how my training is going for anyone who's interested on the on the kind of ultra side, the running side, the mindset side of my training. My training is, at the moment, six days a week. It's quite heavy going. You know, there's power sessions and strength sessions in between runs. So there's three, there's three runs and three strength or conditioning sessions during that week. Actually, there's four runs because I run and do strength on, on Tuesdays. So there's four runs and three strength sessions. And what I have noticed now is that from looking at it in that way and doing, you know, seven different sessions in a week over six days and and coming at it from a professional point of view is I not only, you know, I'm training like a professional and feeling like I am training like a professional, I am I am actually sending that signal to myself that I am a professional and that I and that I that I am on that road to do that and when I when I have set that standard for myself that standard really does allow me to to set my compass on what is actually really important for me to, to get done that week and why I don't skip training sessions and why I you know I'm, I'm just absolutely just incredibly disciplined and committed is because I've really said to myself like you know you want to be professional, you got to make yourself one, you know, you got to make yourself one now, so I'm, and that's what I'm doing, and uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really mixing up, I'm going to be going, right now, I'm, 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 I'm definitely working more on the whole kind of anaerobic side of things, and, you know, doing hill repeats and that kind of stuff, but I'm looking forward to getting, to going longer and higher, and uh, that's what people have to look forward to in my training sessions, is longer, higher runs, and, and more discussion around that, so, I'm going to leave it there, guys. Um, I just want to say to you that you're all just incredibly wonderful for going through what you're going through right now and trying to figure things out and uh, and better yourselves as well during these times. It's absolutely astounding. And um, whether you want to be the best musician in the country and have the drums, you know, surgically attached to your hands or you just feel like learning how to strum a couple of chords on the guitar, either way, fucking do you do you don't fucking worry about anybody else just fucking do you be who you are and do what you want to do because you know you've given your you've been given this chance to do it fucking go do it you know what i mean and and whether it's fucking you want to go to the very very tip top of what you want to do or you just want to make it a part of your life go about go about it and do it and don't let ever anybody anybody tell you that you cannot do it and um, yeah, you're good enough. You're good enough. All right, I'm going to leave it on that. And as always, I'm going to leave you with peace and with love. <laughs>